0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your presence with us. We thank you that we can come together and worship you as family. God, we thank you for what's in your word, what you have for us. We, we come to you eager to hear from you. Our hearts are open before you. God, please fill us up with your wisdom, with your love, with your spirit. We praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So I just have to tell you that the title of the message today is, You Look Marvelous. And it may be a silly title, but by the time we get done, hopefully you'll you'll realize you really do. You really do look marvelous. In spite of your silly, uh, ugly sweaters that Brandon talked about earlier. That was mean. You know what, Brandon? No. How, how many of you have a New Year's resolution? Lift up your hand. Anybody? Come on. I know you do. Some of you are afraid to say it because you're thinking, as soon as I say it out loud, I'll fail. Superstitious much? No. Come on. Okay, so I, I have a love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions. I like them because I like any clear new beginning You know that gets us focused on a new goal, something new that could happen in our lives. So I think from that standpoint, they're really good. You know, I was reading about how people um, really spend so much money on making themselves look really good or the best that they can look. You know, there's plastic surgery. There's all the clothes and the makeup and the hair and everything, you know. Everybody wants to look good. And I think a lot of times it's not, we don't do it for our health. We really do it just based on what other people think of us. Like, we're really more excited about what the other guy thinks about us than we are about being healthy. Now, some of you out there are going to disagree with that. You're like, no, Pastor Jim, I'm totally into it for the health. That's all. You know, I run too, okay? When someone's chasing me, I run. Other than that, no. So... But but the idea is that we really care about what people think, and we get obsessed with it, and sometimes we go to crazy lengths to try to feel better about ourselves and put a lot of money into it. We either want to buy more hair. You know you can buy hair. I should have bought some. More hair or less hair. People are consumed with the idea of wanting to look average or wanting to look unique. Some people want to look younger while young people want to look older. Some people want to look girlier, and some people want to look more rugged. Some people want to look cool, and some people want to look nerdy. Some want to be looking rich, and some want to look grungy. Some people want to look flatter, and some people want to look fluffier. (laughs) Some want to be thinner, and some want to be fatter. Believe it or not, some people want to gain weight, come and talk to me after the service, I have answers. (laughs) But we spend a lot of attention on on these things. And you know, the truth is, is that I'm going to ask you to laugh at yourself a little bit today because we tend to take ourselves very seriously. I just want you to chuckle. Just relax because it's okay. You know that you're loved, right? And we're all pretty much the same. Now, some of us are a little older so we've gotten over some of the, a lot of the image stuff, and, but we've all experienced it at some point, even if we're not dealing with it right now. And even though I am years old, I still deal with it too. So let's, let's, let's not be too serious about ourselves. Um, if you get home at night and you begin to take off all of your fake body parts, the spare body parts, your teeth, your eyes. And my grandpa had a glass eye and he used to love to take it out and freak me out with it. And I would go in at night when he had already gone to bed if I had to get something out of their room and there on the dresser would be his glass eye and I would just stare at it. And then as a little kid I would walk a few steps and turn around and look at it just to see if it was like trying to follow me. But, you know, if you take out a bunch of body parts and if you lay them on the counter on your dresser at night and and there's just a pile of body parts and you think to yourself, thank God I made it through another day fooling everybody, then maybe you're a little obsessed. Have you guys heard the song called Billy Boy? It's a folk song. When I was a little kid, my parents used to sing this song to me. And um, it is definitely not a worship song. It's a folk song. How many of you know it? Where have you been, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? There's nobody out there that knows this song? I am that old. Okay, there's a couple of people that know it. I feel better. It goes like this. It goes, oh, where have you been, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Oh, where have you been, charming Billy? I have been to see my wife. She's the joy of my life. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Now, there's a lot of verses to it, and every verse ends with, she's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. And as you go through the verses of the song, you realize that this woman was not very nice to Billy Boy. In fact, she was kind of, well, she just wasn't nice. And he kept saying, you know, he wanted to get together with her, but she was a young thing and couldn't leave her mother. And then finally, that the last verse of the song The song asks Billy Boy, well, how old is she? And the words are, how old is she, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? How old is she, Charming Billy? The answer was six times six and seven times seven, 48 and 11. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Now, if you add up all of those equations, she was 144 years old. So she probably had a lot of spare body parts that she laid on the counter at night because she had him fooled. So, you know, we don't like the way we look. We just tighten it up or loosen it up or fluff things up or pare things down or put some spackle in it and throw some paint on it. <sighs> because we just want other people to make us feel better about ourselves. But the goal, spiritually, is not to do that with our spiritual selves. See, we're not trying to pretend like we're something we're not spiritually just to make us feel better or look better. We know how to do that, don't we? We know how to come into church and say all the right things, all the right phrases, to dress the right way. We know what not to say, what not to wear. We shush our kids when they try to tell what's going on. We do all kinds of things to make people think that we're more spiritual or more mature than we actually are. And yet God has provided an amazing way for us to be genuine about who we are so that we can really grow because sometimes we think that when we cover up our lack of spirituality that it's the same as being spiritual, but it's really not the same. It's a trap. So as we get older spiritually, we want to know Christ and walk with him so that we become more and more like the person we know that he desires for us to be. I want to read a passage of scripture with you. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Our passage starts in verse 10, but I'm going to get a running start at it in verse 8. Verse 8 of Colossians 3 says, But now you yourselves are to put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So, right away, we see that there's something that we're to put off. We're to put off something. We're supposed to take something off. And it's those list of things. And we're not going to go over all those things. I'm just going to read it one more time. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. And it says, don't lie. Because you've put off the old man. You could say the old man or the old self. You've put off the old way of doing things. Now let's continue on. Look at verse 10. It says, and have put on... The new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So it says that we take things off when we're regenerated, when you become a believer, you take those things off, and the new you, the born again you, puts on The new man. What's interesting about this verb in the Greek to put on, it's a middle voice verb. And what that means is it's not exactly active or passive. In the Greek, there's a middle voice which says that it is both the one doing the action and the one receiving. So we are doing the putting on and we're receiving the putting on. How does that work? in partnership with God Almighty. That we actively participate in this putting on the new man. And it also says renewed in knowledge, but the form of that word is to be renewed continually. Continually renewed in knowledge by God himself. We're putting on the new creation. So we are putting something off just in order to put something back on again. We're not just putting something off. It's not like we're supposed to just stop doing things. If you just stop doing your bad things, then you're a Christian. That's not what it says. Some of us think that if we stop doing all of this bad stuff, that that's enough. I mean, what more does God want? Now I just exist, right? No, we are set apart from the world unto God. We walk away from the kingdom of darkness because now we're in the kingdom of light. We put off the old man so that we can put on the new man. So it's great that you no longer torture children and animals. It's good that you don't do drugs. It's good that you don't steal or beat your wife. Praise God for that. But what are you known for? Now we know what you're not known for. You're no longer known for carousing and drunkenness, wrath, fits of rage. You're not known for that anymore. You stop doing those things. But what are you known for? What virtues of Christ do people see in your life when they look at you? What are you known for? What are the traits of the regenerate Person, that new creation life that is bursting forth out of you. I notice in verse 11, the very first thing it talks about it says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all. And is in all. The very first thing it says is there's no nationality, ethnicity, education, status, or income driven differences that should cause division. Now, I want to tell you when the Bible says these things, it's not saying that you should ignore it. You come from a certain culture, you've had a certain life, you have a background, and it makes it rich, it makes the body of Christ precious. And rich. And you know what? Many nations, tribes, and tongues will stand before the Lord, tells us in the book of Revelation, giving praise and honor and falling down at his feet. So that's a richness. It's a diversity. It's supposed to be that way. So what is it talking about here then? It's saying don't celebrate divisiveness. Celebrate the differences. That's fine. It's beautiful. It's rich. It's tasty. It's good, but the divisiveness has to go. And that's the first thing he talks about as he begins to get into this passage. There shouldn't be these divisions in the body of Christ, a snarky sort of betterness, better than another group mentality. If that is the case, if that exists In your life, in your mind, or in this church, it's called sin. Stop it. Confront it. Let the light of God shine in it and on it. Prejudice doesn't belong in the body of Christ, it's all over the world. But we're not supposed to be like that. Amen? Amen? The other day I walked into a room and one of my kids was watching um, a comedian. And it's pretty funny stuff. Uh, and I'm not saying this comedian is um, wholesome. I really don't know. But the part that I watched I thought was funny. And um is Jim Gaffigan. And um, this is not a commercial for him. Don't go home and watch it. I don't know if it's good or bad. But I will tell you this that he said that really caught my attention. He said, um, he, was, he says he, he comes from a Catholic background, and he was making fun of Catholicism. And here's the part that was funny he, he, and hurtful simultaneously. He said, God tells everybody the same thing. He says, love everybody. Love everybody. And as soon as organized religion gets involved, the first thing they start doing is hating everybody that's not like them. I heard this comedian say that, and my first thought was, offend- I was offended. Second thought was, there's truth in that. There's some truth in that. You know, that, that the world looks at us, and what they see is not a stand for truth. It's not a stand for for that. It's the divisiveness that we tend to go to. We tend to go to this divisiveness. And it's so sad because really we see that Jesus reached out to all kinds of people and brought truth to them and loved them, which is what we're called to do is to be seen as someone who has the answer, which is Jesus, and that God loves them, and Jesus laid down his life for them. That is our story. That is our gospel message. So I listened to that comedian, and I walked away thinking, man, there's a grain of truth to that, which is why it offended me. And Lord, please, don't let me. Don't let me be that way. Let me be a loving individual. We recently um, had a Christmas service and Christmas Eve. How many of you came to the Christmas Eve services? That was so good. Um, We had the worship team saying, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And um, it was a really cool arrangement, sort of a rock anthem arrangement. It was awesome. And I started thinking about this hymn because I'm, a, I'm a, a music nerd. And I remember that this hymn, nobody really knows when it was written, the lyrics or the tune. And in the 18th century, it was revived and published. So it had existed long before that. And it had seven verses And the seventh verse, which is not sung very often, because there are seven verses, (laughs) uh, goes like this, O come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind, bid all our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. So you see, even back then, in 1700s or before, people were recognizing by the word of God who the Messiah is, that he was to bring peace among believers, and that there was a message of love that was intended to go forth. Let's read verse 12. It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So it says, therefore... Therefore, because of this, you know, because of everything I've said up till now is what that means, that word, and then it makes a list of things to concentrate on, these Christian virtues. There are many Christian virtues in the Bible. This is just a set of them, and it's interesting that all of these have to do with relationships. It has to do with how we relate one to another. Did you notice that? It says, therefore, as the elect of God, by the way, if you want to be the elect of God, then you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you belong to him. Holy and beloved, that means always loved. Always set apart and loved. Do you know that God will not love you more or less tomorrow than he does right now? He loves you and he's for you. I want to tell you that's good news. Because here we are ending 2021. And I want to tell you that the God of all creation loves you. And he will be with you into 2022. And he will love you. So says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Now, this word tender mercies. Put it on. Robe yourself in tender mercies. The word tender denotes a sort of like almost physical touch. A tender mercy to people's misery. That there will be a tender touch from you, from your heart to theirs. As they endure things, as they go through things, that your mercies will be poured out towards them. And by the way... Originally, like in the King James, it says bowels of mercy. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Bowels of mercies poured out toward people. Uh, And that means, that's because they used to also say, I love you with all my bowels. Why? Because they believed that emotion came from the deepest part of them in their bowels. They didn't think heart like we'd think, you know, I love you with all my heart. So, but I do want to caution you men, when you give a card to your wife or your girlfriend on Valentine's Day, do not say, I love you with all my bowels. (laughs) And do not buy a card that has a picture of like a large intestine. It needs to have a heart. Okay, they don't understand the, I love you with all my bowels. And children in school don't want to cut out colons to put on the wall. They like to cut out hearts. So... Anyway, but you can see the picture it's painting. Put on these tender mercies from deep within you. And then it says kindness. The word for kindness here means gentleness, gentleness and caring. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word for easy there is the same word, this kindness. My yoke is gentle. My yoke is caring and my burden is light. Did you know that's what that passage meant? My yoke, the yoke, like the yoke gets put on the oxen. My yoke is gentle and caring, Jesus said. My burden is light. Here we're told that we are to be gentle and caring to people. It mentions humility, thinking of others and not concentrating on self. Yesterday at Christmas, it was so much fun. We had our eight grandchildren, our four children, their spouses, my wife and I. We were having a grand time. Paper was flying everywhere ripping open presents, and my, some of my little ones, you know, they get a present. It's their turn to open because we like to go one by one because we want to see what everybody gets. So they open their present, and they love it for a split second. And then when the next person's opening their present, they're back at the tree looking for the next one for themselves, you know. They can't wait for Peapaw to hand them out. They have to get the next present. Why? Because their focus is not on the other person getting the gift. Where's their focus? It's on them. It's on them. It's on, Because they haven't learned yet that that's not the way that you're supposed to be. So they, you know, they, they have to learn those things. Well, sometimes as adults, we're just the same, our attention is on us. You walk into a room and immediately you wonder what people are thinking of you. And you know what? They're not. Because they're thinking of themselves. <laughs> Just like you are. <laughs> so, a humility is thinking of others, not concentrating on self. Meekness is power under submission to God. That's a beautiful concept. Meekness is power Under God's uh, authority. So it doesn't mean weak. It means choosing to be meek. Some of us should have a PhD in manipulation. Or coercion. We're going to force people to do what we want. We're going to manipulate them into doing what we want. That's not meekness. That's operating by the flesh. Meekness is power under submission. Choosing. To be humble. It mentions long-suffering, which is patience with the faults of others. Think about that. Patience with the faults of others. How often do we just want to say, man, you messed up already. You messed up a second time. I'm done. I'm done with you. You keep messing up. It's over. This is talking about long-suffering, that patience with the faults of others. I find it really interesting that we have a tendency to give up quickly and bring the law to others, and yet we want patience with our own self. Very often we forget to pray for those who are struggling. We just become impatient. Thank goodness God doesn't give up on them, and he's not giving up on you. Bearing with one another and forgiving like Christ has forgiven us. Are you kidding me, Pastor Jim? That that's that's the model for us? We have to forgive like Christ forgave? Yes, that's what the word says. The same mercy and grace that was poured out for us is what we get to pour out for others. And I want you to think about how Christ forgave you. How has he forgiven you? Did he expect you to be perfect before he forgave you? Did he tell you the next time you mess up he was no longer forgiving you? Did he expect you to do everything perfectly? And yet we treat others that way sometimes. And then it talks about love. Look what it said about love. Let's read that again. Verse 14 says, But above all these things, above all these virtues, put on love. Robe yourself in love. This is agape love. Agape love. Unconditional love of God. Robe yourself in that, which is the bond of perfection. So it's above all. The thing that flows through these virtues, the thing that encompasses these virtues and arches over all of these virtues is love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten the importance of the unconditional love of God? 1 Peter 4.8 says, And above all these things have fervent love, One for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. What's amazing to me is that another translation says, um, have an intense love of Christ for one another. And then it says, uh, instead of love will cover, it says love will be a gracious canopy over a multitude of sins. You guys know what a canopy is, right? Right? It's like a gazebo or a covering that love covers those sins. So, when I look at this passage, I I think that one of the things that, that jumps out at me the most is that we so often think that the way we interact with people is gratuitous. We think that the way that we interact with people, you know, we don't have to do it. We can take it or leave it. And yet, What's interesting is the Word of God talks pretty openly and strongly about this is how men will know that you're mine if you have loved one for another and it talks about unity, and it talks about embracing believers. It talks about it, and yet so often we just kind of act like it's not a big deal as long as I'm, you know, not doing super bad things. I give every now and then. I go to church. I'm okay. Things are Okay. And yet what we see is that the Bible talks about relationships almost like a litmus test for our spiritual maturity. You know, it, it's, so it, it is important how we treat one another, how we know one another, how we interact together with one another. It really does uh, make a difference. And so I want to read the, the, just the last three verses of this passage Starting in verse 15. And we're going to look at this. Remember, the context is relationships. And sometimes these verses are taken out of context and applied to other things. And I think you can apply them to other things. But within this context, remember, he's talking about the way that Christians relate to other Christians. Verse 15. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the first thing we see is, The peace of God. And what I want to tell you is that these three things here can be used as a guide to show us how we're doing in our spiritual maturity in regard to relationships. Not just one of the things alone, but all three together. The first one is peace, the peace of God. And yes, peace is a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It's a deep sense of knowing that something is right. A deep sense of knowing did you notice it says let peace rule in your hearts the word for rule is like to be an umpire or to referee in other words you use it to judge and to decide which way should I go what should I do what is right or not based on this deep sense of knowing this peace Now, a lot of times people take this verse out and they use it to talk about things not in relationships, just in in everyday life. And I think that's okay to do. For example, should I marry this person? Should I buy this house? Should I take this job? You know, should I, whatever. And, and, And we're looking for that feeling, that peace of God to determine whether we should make those big steps. And that's okay. But that's not what this verse is talking about here. And it's dangerous to just take a feeling and to make decisions based on a feeling. That's why there's three things here to look at. And the reason that it's dangerous is because when we go by just our feelings, I don't know if you guys are aware, but in Jeremiah, it says to us that our heart is deceitful. Sometimes our feelings are not healthy. They lie to us. For example, there have been times when I had felt quite peaceful about punching somebody in the jaw (laughs) and felt like this would really make me feel better. I would just feel better right now if I could just punch them right in the head. But of course, that wasn't God. And later, I would have regretted the decision. But we've had people say to us, God is saying, Uh, I I think I should divorce because I feel peaceful about it. I think that I should not have to feed my children three meals a day. I feel peaceful. I shouldn't have to keep the house clean. It makes me angsty. I shouldn't have to um, pay my bills, and I don't pay my taxes, and I feel peace about that. And we have people saying those types of things, and it's like, you know what? You may have a feeling that tells you that right now, but that doesn't mean it matches God's word. And notice how there's three things here together. First is the peace of God, that deep sense of knowing that's right, what's right. And then look, it also says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that the Word of God would become such a part of your life that it characterizes who you are on a daily basis. And now when a feeling comes that doesn't match God's Word, you can be like, oh no, that can't be right. Because God forbids that in His Word. God speaks against that in His Word. So having an affair, even though it makes me feel good, I shouldn't do that. In fact, the Word of God should so be part of my life and so characterize who I am that I love being in the Word and I spend time being engaged in it and in worship of God with other people. Did you see that part where it talked about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Psalms being the scripture, hymns being the songs of the church. And spiritual songs talking about that sense of um, impromptu worship coming up, just, just new songs coming from your heart. That you're being stirred up by the brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Now you have these three things going on, but there's also something else. It says, we will do it all in the name of the Lord. We will do it all in the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. If your heart is telling you that deep sense of what to do, that sense of peace, and the word of God also says you should do it, and the brothers and sisters around you are encouraging you in it, You have confidence in moving forward with something like that. You have confidence with it. And if you can honor God with it, if you can do it in the name of the Lord, what a blessing. And if you think that all of those things that are, those are just individual things And you can do it that way. Imagine when you do it contextually correct in the area of relationships. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about as a relationship, if I know you and you've said something and it's hurt my feelings or I can take offense or whatever, I I can't just go by my feeling. I have to go by what the word of God says on how I should respond to you. And then I have to be stirred up stirred up in the Holy Spirit and I have to act in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So that means I'm not going to respond to you in the flesh. And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to sit down and talk with you about it. And our relationships are supposed to bring honor to God and glorify Him. That's how all men know that we belong to Jesus if we love one another. But I want to tell you, there's so much divisiveness in the world, but it shouldn't be in the church. There's divisiveness in the world. Why does the church look just like that? I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church universal. So I'm talking about the church. But maybe I'm talking about our church. You would know better than me. Is there some divisiveness going on? Are you at the cause of it? Are you the root of it? Are you participating in it? You got your toe. Stuck in a cow pie? And you're wondering what smells? Pastor Jim, you can't say stuff like that. You're right. These three things together help us navigate relationships, that deep sense of peace, the word of God, and whether or not we're glorifying God with our behavior and our words. Amen? So my question for us today is, are you ready to put on something great for 2022? You're going to put off the old and put on the new? Because you look marvelous. You're beautiful, darling. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. As we walk around and live and move in the virtues of Christ, the body of Christ in all of its sparkling differences, is beautiful. Would you pray with me? Bow your head, close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jim, I have never given my life to Christ. I've never made a decision to receive Christ or to put my faith in him that I want to talk to you right now. I want to encourage you to know him. The things that I was talking about today, that relationship with Christ, that being known by Him and knowing Him and walking with Him can be yours. If you feel that pull in your heart, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, I love you, and I want to change your life. So I want to pray with you. This is how we become a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit draws us. We recognize that Jesus is God's Son, that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, that He was raised from the dead, that He sits at the right hand of God the Father. If you believe that today, if you will receive that by faith, if you're willing to turn away from the way you've done life your own way and turn to Him, then He will come into your life, forgive you of all your sin, and you'll have a relationship with Him. So if that's you this morning, and you say, Pastor Jim, I want to know Jesus like that. I want my sins forgiven. I want to walk with God. I want to know him. If that's you, would you lift up your hand right now so I can pray with you? Is there anybody here this morning that says, yeah, Pastor Jim, that's me. I want to know Jesus. See your hand. See your hand. Is there anyone else? there anyone else this morning? Believer, I want to talk to you this morning. Do you feel like maybe you've gotten away from some of these virtues and that You recognize you need to put on these things, put on the new man, put on the new creation again, that you need to be robed in Christ. If you want prayer, would you lift up your hand? I see your hands. I see your hands. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand. I thank you, God, for moving in their heart. I thank you, God, for the one who raised their hand to receive you, to receive Christ. We bless your name, God. We praise your name. We pray, Father God, that you would move in their life in such a powerful way. For the one who raised their hand to to receive Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to to pray with me. And what that means is I'm just going to say a really simple prayer. And I'm asking you to repeat this either aloud or in your heart. And when we get done praying, one of our follow-up team members is gonna approach you and, and speak with you and make sure you have a Bible, answer any questions that you have. But would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you died for my sin and that you're risen. I believe that you have forgiven me of all my sin and that my life is yours. Fill me with all of you. In Jesus name, amen. Let's continue to pray. Father, I thank you for these believers that have raised their hand. I thank you, God, that you're moving in our lives. God, you care about us. I pray, Father, that as they repent from things and areas maybe that they have grown weak in, that you would show them, God, demonstrate Once again, let them feel and know your great love and acceptance for them. I pray, Father, that you would so overflow them with your spirit, that they would be encouraged, that they would love your word, that they would love people. I pray, God, that you would enable them to forgive supernaturally. love God we thank you Father we praise you you are so good and we love you forever in Jesus name Amen